If you've been wishing, hoping, and dreaming about taking your business from six figures to multi-six figures or multi-six figures to seven figures, then I want to make sure you get our new free guide, the multi-six and seven-figure scaling roadmap. Inside the guide, I pull back the curtains and I shared all the strategies that I used and they can help you too. First, they can help you triple your monthly sales. I shared proven strategies with you that led to a 3x increase in my monthly sales. Second, I show you exactly how to crush your limiting beliefs. Say goodbye to doubts like, you can't charge that much and there aren't enough ideal clients for you too. Third, how to only work with ideal clients. I show you how to become the go-to expert and attract only the perfect clients and referrals. And finally, I show you how to quantum leap to $20,000 plus every single month. I show you exactly how to take a quantum leap from $8,000 per month, for example, to $20,000 a month. You can absolutely break through your upper limit barrier and enjoy five and six figure months every single month. Make 2024 your dream come true year by downloading your free guide today. Just click the link in the show notes below. Welcome to Double Your Sales Now, your resources to selling strategies, tips, and best practices to take your performance to the next level. There's no reason you can't double your sales. So let's get to it with your sales coach, Ursula Menches. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Double Your Sales Now, where you learn all the tips, mindset shifts, tools, and strategies to two times your sales in any niche. I'm your host, Ursula Menches, and I'm super excited to be with you here today. We have a very, very special guest. I'm excited because our guest is here in our local market, and that doesn't always happen. And so my goal this year was to be interviewing more people locally so that we could connect with them, I could get to know them. And so I'm excited that this gentleman made it happen. So David Schwant, he is a financial advisor. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in a moment, but I just wanted to welcome him to the Double Your Sales Now show. Hi, David. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. We're excited to have you. You have lots of experience in your industry. I know you have a lot of things that you could share with our listeners. Let me tell you a little bit about David. He's an entrepreneur. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have him on here. He is self-made, and his focus is in financial services. He serves as an advocate for his clients as he helps them explore the many financial strategies and vehicles available to address their needs and concerns. And we all know that can be pretty overwhelming. His objective is to help set clients free from worry and confusion about financial matters. David says he's been quoted as saying, legitimate financial planning is not a single event but a process. Investment and insurance products are vehicles for setting in motion the financial strategies developed in this process. And David has a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Minnesota. He also has a degree of Juris Doctor from William Mitchell College of Law. He's During his junior year of college, he studied English literature, philosophy, and music at Oxford University. So yes, he's very well educated, pretty impressive. And he obtained his Certified Financial Planner certification in 1988. He has tons and tons of other certifications. It looks like every designation that you could have, including a Master of Science in Financial Services. That's incredible. Behavioral Financial Advisor, just so many degrees, David, and certifications. Very impressive. And he really focuses in on financial planning strategies, cash flow analysis, education funding strategies, insurance strategies, investment strategies and asset management, retirement planning, plan distribution, charitable giving, estate planning. So pretty much 
all of those areas could be helped with a meeting for David. And David and his wife, Rachel, also enjoy spending time with their three sons. We have one son, so and he's four now, and he's just a lot of energy. So I can't imagine three sons, Matthew, Michael, and Mark, and they participate in a lot of church-related activities and leadership opportunities. And you also have a lake cabin in Door County, Wisconsin. I have to tell you, David, I have been telling my husband since we moved back to Minnesota a few years ago that we have to get to Door County. So I'm going to ask you about that before we finish today. But <laughs> So, David, welcome. And tell us a little bit about your story. Clearly, you are a lifelong learner. You loved education. What was inspiring you about your educational journey? And then how did you decide to get into the world of financial planning? Well, Ursula, when you were reading that, it sounded like this is a man that spent way too much time in school. Actually, in our business, all one really has to have are licenses so that regulators have proper oversight and so on. But I've always felt that, you know, when you have to do continuing education to maintain these licenses, rather than just enduring something, why not pursue something that actually equips you to serve people more competently and so on? So that really was the motivation behind all these professional credentials was not so much to, you know, be stapling three business cards together so I can fit them all on, but actually to equip myself to serve people the best way I possibly could. And I do have a love for learning, and I don't uh, expect that will ever end. So that really is the, the motivation behind the various professional credentials and so on. So I've maintained my law license as well, so... I could technically practice law in the state of Minnesota, but I don't actually do that, but it's very helpful in the planning process. Oh, I can imagine. So obviously you're a lawyer as well. At what point did you say, you know what, I definitely want to be a financial advisor. I want to help people in this fashion, you know, because you could have gone a very different direction. So what inspired you to go this way? Well, I actually was a lawyer for about four and a half years, primarily in real estate-related commercial real estate activity. And this was in the early 80s. It was mostly in corporate or government settings, and I was thinking I'd like to go into private practice and be more independent, but people in the larger firms with substantial real estate departments were warning me, saying it would not be a good idea to consider that because tax legislation was coming. Uh, It did come, by the way, in 1986 that put a real damper on commercial real estate development. I actually went into a recession And so these friends said, you know, you like to be with people, and so why don't you expand your capability, and you've always been interested in finance stuff. So I started looking into that direction and started making the the transition in 84 and fully in uh, 85, and it really was the right move for me. And in fact, real estate, commercial real estate did go into a recession for about nine years following that tax legislation, so it was some good counsel from friends of mine. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great reminder, too, to have those people in our lives that we can go to. So you made that pivot and ended up going out on your own. So as an entrepreneur, Dave, when you look back, did you have any limiting beliefs about sales or selling? And I know in your industry it's very relationship-based, but just in general, you Mm -hmm. know, any limiting beliefs about growing your business or going out and finding clients or having them find you? Like, what was that like for you in the beginning? Well, that really was tough because – I did have limiting beliefs. One was that I had a lot of knowledge, but not the right knowledge. Mm. So starting out, you know, people knew I'd been an attorney, but they also knew that I was in my first or second year. I could not be any kind of financial guru. And so that limited my view of myself, but my clients were very 
accommodating. And uh, one of them, I asked him years later, how did you dare work with me in my first year? <laughs> and, and he said, uh, well, I knew you didn't know a whole lot, but I also knew you weren't going to you know, BS me that you would find the answers. And, mm-hmm. and so that was really nice to hear. Also, you know, there was no net or predictable income. Right. Uh, I had to sort of jump off that cliff and with a couple of kids and the first house and all that, uh, uh, that was a little tough. And then this whole notion of sort of pitching things to people, the, the sales aspect, uh, that part of it didn't especially appeal to me. And over time, I, I overcame that by just perceiving it as a completely different role than than just being a shill for financial services product. Yeah, so, I mean, you're not alone. We talk a lot about this on the show, you know, the idea of pitching or selling or when it comes to that moment. And we're always glad to hear that everyone else had that fear at some point as well. As our listeners, oh, yes. They talk about it all the time. Yeah. They love to hear, you know, that someone like you who's been in business this long, you have all these degrees, and yet you still had fear. And I get, though, you know, when you have a family and, you know, there's bills to pay, that can be super motivating. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, like, you know, what were some of the things – what were some of the things that you did to get past that fear or to get out there? Did you join some networking groups or like what were some of your first moves? Well, I was really fortunate because in my law days, I created a number of relationships with professionals. And as I said earlier, to my amazement, a number of them were interested in working with me or referring people to me. So that helped a lot. I also remember about a year in, I was having breakfast with a, a good friend who you was know, pretty well off financially, and, and he said, so you've been doing this for a year. Why have you never asked me about working with me? And wow. I you know, made this great, what I thought was very admirable statement. I said, I will not impose myself on friends. And he, in a very sensitive way, said, you're an idiot. <laughs> so he said, do you think your friends don't need what you do? And who better to look out for their best interests than you? So that helped me get past that. And I've always told friends, I'm happy to work with you, but you are the one that will decide if we'll proceed. So I stopped hiding from my friends, started communicating with them. In 33 years, only one person has ever said, you know, I just assume keep that part of my life separate from our friendship. And I said, that's fine. I know I get that. But I would have missed all sorts of opportunities and subsequent referrals if I kept taking this, you know, stance that uh, I'm not going to impose myself on my friends. Yeah, and so for everyone who's listening, and David, I know people are taking notes. I mean, that is just a powerful statement. I'm not going to impose myself because we could fill in the blank on any, like I'm not going to impose myself on the receptionist at that corporation I want to get into or, you know, my friends or my colleagues that are only one degree of separation. And we could, I'm sure for so many of us that is, there's an endless list that we could make up. And yet here you are with proof that only one person in 33 years and you, and yet at the same time didn't, didn't hurt you, did it? You were just like, well, I get it. That's fine. And you moved on. It didn't even sound like it, it just sounded like it bounced off. Wow. Yeah, well, he was half teasing, but then he went on, you know, to say, you know, basically, he might have even used the words, that is a limiting belief that you've got to get over. Wow. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who's listening where maybe they have that limiting belief? They don't want to impose themselves on whoever. Like, what is your Mm -hmm. best piece of advice for that person? Well, if you're doing something that you genuinely enjoy that has intrinsic merit, 
meaning it will actually benefit someone else. What helped me a great deal was understanding that for me, sales is really about communication and persuasion to empower other people to pursue strategies that are serving their best interests. So I'm an enabler for people to realize their fullest potential, whether it's in their financial world or whatever, but it only happens if I'm properly motivated and if I'm an effective and clear communicator. And much of that has to do with listening as opposed to talking. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I I always share with especially new sales professionals that selling is not telling. Selling is asking questions because we feel like, especially when we first get into sales, like we have to know everything. It's just like your friend said. Your friend said that he trusted you to figure it out, right? Like even if you didn't know the answer, Mm -hmm. he knew that you would look out for his best interest. And, you know, as we, we listen, we hear and we uncover needs very quickly. So, David, was there a moment, I mean, you've been doing this I think you said 33 years, right? Is that right. more than 30 years? When you look back on your career, was there a moment when you felt like, not necessarily like you made it, but like you could make a living, things were going well, you weren't stressing about making the house payment or worrying about, you know, the kids or whatever it might be. Do you remember a moment like that? Yeah, that was last week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, actually, you know, in the early going, back when I started, there was only a 15% retention rate in our business after four years. In other words, only 15% of the people who started were still doing it four years later. So I thought once I got beyond that point, well, okay, I must be doing something right. And yes, as time went on, and you know, this is not a get comfortable quickly kind of strategy. It's a building type of a business. But when I was having, you know, really good client retention, getting good referrals that, you know, it started to take care of itself. And that's when I knew that I must be serving people properly because, as one person said, clients don't send referrals. Happy clients send referrals. And so that's what I've been very fortunate to benefit from over a fairly long period of time now. Oh, fantastic. Well, I want to go there. So I know we talked about relationships. Clearly, that's Mm -hmm. important. But what would you say, David, been your top two strategies that you've used to grow your business to this level? All right. Well, first, uh, kind of alluded to is referrals and quality referrals. You know, I can only serve people that want my help. And there's a certain personality profile that aligns with how I do my practice. So just because somebody comes into my office and has, you know, tons of money doesn't mean that I'm going to be working with them. It also has to do with who they are, what motivates them, and these criteria that I use because I really give of myself a lot and invest myself a lot in these relationships, and I just don't want to do that if it's somebody that I think is going to be problematic or, quite frankly, that you know our personalities just don't align. It makes no sense to pursue that but to move on. But uh, referrals have been excellent. And then there was a period of time where I was doing seminars, and these were very helpful at that time. The public hadn't been seminared to death by our industry (laughs) yet. And so that opened doors to folks that I may never have met otherwise. So those are things. And then there's professionals, attorneys and accountants who are familiar with my work and will, with some frequency, introduce me to folks that they work with that may have a need for what I do. Gotcha. So there's the happy customer referrals, Mm -hmm. and then there's the professional 
so the people that are in your network and their referrals. Right. And I'll tell you something. I mean, we haven't talked a lot of it, a lot about this on the show, and it's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on because a lot of my clients will ask, like, how do you build powerful referral partners? Because this is what I hear. They'll say, I give tons of referrals. I had a client one time who, you know, was was giving – 10 referrals at a time and not getting anything in return. And these were, I mean, this is making someone else probably 100000 120000 in income plus plus, sure. plus that client for life. And she was just struggling. So we had a lot of conversations about how to set up that referral partnership. But in your opinion, like, how have you built strong referral partners? How does that work in your world? Because it sounds like you're doing it very well and it makes sense in your industry. But even in your industry, not everyone knows how to do it. So what are your tips there? Well, the... The mechanics, in the beginning, you know, people were trying to teach me, well, you, you know, draft 10 letters to people and then you have the client put their own penmanship on, you know, all these sort of mechanical mm. salesy kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. technique. And I just wasn't comfortable with that. But what I would tell folks fairly early in the process, you know, I would bring up, I suppose you're wondering how I get paid for all of this. And I would kind of go through how that happens. And I said, but there's another aspect of compensation that is vital to me, and that is if I have served you well and you're happy with the work I'm doing, that you'll help me meet people who need my help, people that you know. And that kind of couches it a little bit differently. And then as I've gone through the process and we're kind of, let's say, finishing phase one of what I expect will be a long relationship, I'll remind them of that conversation. And I'll say, you know, who do you know who might come to mind that I could serve? And sometimes that opens some doors. But another thing, I've developed my website over the years to be what I call an extended business card because my business is such a high-trust business and a confidentiality mm-hmm. business that I can understand why even a happy client might not necessarily want to refer somebody for fear that it will imply to their friend well, I'm assuming you desperately need financial planning. <laughs> and, you know, right. that's an uncomfortable assumption to make. So I'll tell them, hey, you know, why don't you just suggest they visit my website and explore that? And if they find something interesting there, to get in touch with me because I won't be charging them to have a conversation about what I do. And that's made a lot of people very comfortable to not have to be selling me as much as introducing right. me and the website helps a great deal in that respect. Got it. Well, thank you for sharing those tips. They're excellent. I mean, mm-hmm. so it sounds like you open up that conversation from the beginning, you know, that you might be wondering how I get paid. If you, you know, mm-hmm. if you feel I've served you well, I hope that you'll introduce me to other people. So it's beautiful. So for those who are listening, like, you know, that's a great way to open up that conversation early. And then later to ask that open-ended question, who do you know? I love that mm-hmm. it's open-ended because if we say, do you know anyone, our brains all go to no. And I don't want to think yep. right now because I have to – that's going to cost work for me. But if you say, who do you know? Of course, people come to mind. So that's great. And the website being extended business card. So brilliant way to say it and giving people that kind of that warm introduction, that safe introduction so they can take that next step. Now, on this, mm-hmm. you know, on our show, we talk a lot about also like taking that next step. So let's say someone says, you know, I know my friend Carrie would be a great fit for you. So do you ask your client then to give you Carrie's information and you make the call? Do you ask for a warm introduction? Like how do you walk someone through that process? I add one little bit to the last thing I said. I sure. also have a sheet that I give to clients as we're having that reminder conversation. Yes. And there are like 10 bullet points 
of the kinds of people I can help. Because, you know, when somebody says, who do you think I can help? Your mind just kind of goes blank, right? But if I have a checklist of someone who just had this happen in their life, someone, they're going, oh, I know somebody. Yeah, my friend, that's exactly what just happened. I bet they could benefit. So those triggers, those reminders of here are the types of people that I can help can often be useful to them to sort of think of folks that might benefit. Then what I'll typically do is I'll ask the existing client, do you have contact information for them? What I do is write a letter, very gentle, you know, this person made me aware of you. He in no way suggested you needed what I do, but thought it might be helpful for us to have a conversation. And so that's how I bridge that. And I encourage them to talk to the referrer and explore this with them and get their opinion on things. So it's a fairly soft approach. Got it. But it's very clear. And you help people through that process understand what the next step is. You're clear about who your ideal clients are and who you can really help. I think those are just phenomenal tips to help all of our listeners. So thank you. So David, I want to give Mm -hmm. you time. I know we know you're an expert in financial advising. You've got all this experience. What are the top two, three strategies that you share with your clients? I mean, we've come through, my husband and I joke, like we, not real funny, but (laughs) we survived the recession in California and, you know, pretty much lost everything because we had a lot of real estate. So we've had to rebuild and, you know, we've all gone through financial stuff. And luckily we, you know, we're in a great process of rebuilding and we've been very, very blessed and very focused on that. You know, what are the top strategies you share with your clients? Well, as I have gotten older, retirement or whatever we view when we hear the word retirement is something that a lot of folks sort of in my cohort are or have already reached. And and so retirement income planning is a very important piece because, you know, we spend decades accumulating money if we've had some discipline. But now to step away from a paycheck, and think about, okay, how am I going to maintain my life? How am I going to adjust for inflation? And as I tell folks when they're approaching this time in life, you know, if you're in your 60s, a married couple, actuarially, you have a joint life expectancy of 30 years. So in other words, one of you is likely to live into your 90s. And the question I'll pose is, so what are you going to do as you live your entire adult life over again? And that sobers people up because they hear 30 years, but they don't really think about it. But now when they hear, wait a minute, this is like going from 30 to 60. And so it isn't just about the money. It's about what am I going to do with my time that, you know, makes a contribution to life that invigorates me, that keeps me engaged. Money is a means for helping accomplish some of it, but it's only part of the picture. And so envisioning that time, and as as baby boomers have come to realize or are coming to realize, the notion of retirement is really a mythical construct that's only about 100 years old. And so, you know, we're seeing folks continuing to work, maybe not earning at levels they had been when they were fully engaged, but not just dropping out of the workforce because they still have a contribution to make. So that's an important part of my practice is helping people prepare for that. And as they enter it and then live in that time of their life, how they manage to get through all that. In order to do that, of course, I have to be managing their assets properly. So that's another important part of what I do is portfolio management. And then I suppose third would be just the whole financial analysis and projections part 
that I do for folks. And that, of course, can step back to younger ages who are sort of building toward this or educating children or whatever it might be. And then finally, because of my law background, helping people prepare for estate preservation and disposing of the assets they have at their passing and how do they want to accomplish that and how does it dovetail with all the rest of their planning. Got it. Those are, well, it's interesting what you said about, you know, that ha- it's not just about, it's for sure not just about the money, but so, so much of our focus is the money and not what's the vision for that life. I can tell you my mm-hmm. awesome mom was a nurse with the state of Minnesota for, for many years until she retired. And sadly, we lost my stepdad in 2012. And so she, you know, was retiring and then suddenly she was on her own. And, you know, she is an extrovert and she is Bored. Like retirement is just not even the word for her. And so, you know, she's working right. two part-time jobs and she spends a lot of time with our son and, you know, her family. And, and it's just, you know, it's been, it's been very eye-opening for all of us just to say, well, what, you know, what is that word retirement? Because I, I feel like we have this idea of what it is in our country. And yet the reality mm-hmm. of it, as you suggested, as we live longer and we live, you know, healthier lives, hopefully, there's just so many options that we haven't considered. And so, Having that vision is so important. So thank you for sharing that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I had a client uh, not long ago, kind of teasingly, he's always giving me a rough time, but uh, he said, oh, I suppose you're just going to quit on me. And, and I said, well, no, no, I enjoy what I do. I'm still making a contribution. I don't have any vision for some date that I'm leaving the business. And he said, well, don't you want to play golf? And I said, well, it's so frustrating. And he said, well, of course it's frustrating, but you've got to give it time. I said, I have given it time. I still can't get it in the clown's <laughs> mouth. And he figured out at that point that, that I don't golf. But Right, yeah. Right, like we don't golf. Like what, how will we spend our time? And mm-hmm. I'm a terrible golfer. I feel that. And, you know, it's, it's that. It's a plan. But, you know, I have to ask you because you do go to Door County. So tell me, best tips on Door County. This is for all my Minnesota listeners and anyone who wants to travel to the Midwest. I know it's not Minnesota, but what, are your, what, what do you love about going to your cabin in Door County? What brought you out there? I'd love to hear about that. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I actually, part of my life grew up in uh, eastern Wisconsin, right along Lake Michigan. And so our family would go to Door County because at that point it was a reasonable trip. Now it's a seven-hour trip uh, from Minneapolis, but it's just beautiful. And when you get, you know, it's the thumb of Wisconsin. And when you get north of Sturgeon Bay, it just is transforming. It's like you're on the East Coast, especially the little towns along the Green Bay side of the Upper Peninsula are quaint and beautiful, very you know artsy and all sorts of things, restaurants. And it's just a terrific place that takes you kind of to another experience that you don't – there aren't a whole lot of places in the, in the Midwest that sort of offer this. In the fall, I think it's still deemed one of the top ten color trips for yeah. people that like to look at the leaves and so on. And so – we decided about 13 years ago to get a place over there and fix it up and so on. And so it's been lots of fun, able to spend quite a bit of time in the summer there. That's one of the beauties of technology is that I can do much of my work from about anywhere, but I'll come right. back to the Twin Cities for face-to-face client meetings and so on. So it has worked out well. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. We're gonna. This will be our inaugural trip this year. We're gonna make it out there. So, well, David, it's oh, been a pleasure having you on the show. I, tell me, like, for those listeners who might want to learn more from you or connect with you, how could they do that? Well, uh, I would suggest just visit my website. It's www. 
Planvisor, P-L-A-N-V-I-S-E-R.com. There's a number of materials there that explain sort of my philosophy, my approach, and all my contact information is on the website as well. Awesome. So planvisor.com, you can connect with David there. David, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your experiences and your knowledge. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Ursula, very much so. Yeah, fun to get to know you, and I hope to meet you in person sometime. And I want to thank all of our listeners from all over the world. We appreciate you. If there's anything we can do for you, you can email me at Ursula, U-R-S-U-L-A, at salescoachnow.com. If you haven't gone to the website yet, you can go to salescoachnow.com, and you can get our free gift there. It's all about how to not feel salesy in the sales process. It's, it's our authentic sales process. So definitely grab that webinar. We'd love for you to have that. And please, if there's anything else we can do, or if you'd like to have me come and speak at your next event, you can email contact at salescoachnow.com, and my team will get back to you and let you know how we can help you. I want to thank you again. Thanks, everyone. And make this your best year yet. Thank you for listening to Double Your Sales Now. To get even more information to take your sales to the next level, visit us at salescoachnow.com. That's salescoachnow.com. Join us again next week to learn how to double your sales now. Now.